On this third Sunday of Advent, we focus upon joy. But over the last couple of weeks, right, we've been building, right? We had hope first, then last week we had peace even in a chaotic world. And we're kind of following those themes in this overarching one of finding ourselves in Jesus' story, of really kind of digging in. How do we find ourselves in the story of Jesus and different individuals? How do we connect to it in new ways that kind of help us in the everyday? And so last week, especially following all the events of the prior week, the difficulty of how do we find peace in a chaotic world actually begins to help us build a base then for joy. And so as we're thinking about how do we get confidence, get confidence in living into joy and still there are things around us as we're still trying to find peace, how do we begin to think about gaining that confidence in joy? Because as I've said many times before, joy is a choice. It's a choice that we make every single day that has nothing to do with the events around us. We may respond differently to the events in the world around us because of joy, but joy is not based upon circumstances. And so as we dig into this part of the story, we're actually going to look at Mary. And we are going to go to the part of the story in Luke where Mary finds out, hey, you're, you're about to have a kid. And the profound impact and the uncertainty and the fear and just kind of how does Mary begin to navigate that? How is she able to have such joy? And we're going to look at that in connection to the carol of Silent Night. And we may be thinking, well, isn't Silent Night, I mean, that's just kind of peaceful, right? As, we're, as we've lit the candles on Christmas Eve, as we're holding up our candles and the lights come down, there's something very peaceful about it. And yet there's something also very joyful about it of how do we get confidence in our joy when we look at what Mary has to say and the carol of Silent Night. As we begin to think through that, it's just good to keep in mind that the carol of Silent Night was written in 1816 by a guy named Joseph Muir. And Joseph was writing during a period where he was healing from illness. He was a young priest who had gotten sick, and he was convalescing. He was trying to get better, and he penned these words. And it was a couple years before anybody would hear them, but to keep that in mind as we go through the story and the carol. So beginning in Luke, the first chapter, verses 26 through 29, when Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged with a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, she, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting that might be. All right, so we actually get a name here with the angel, the angel Gabriel. Uh, angel meaning messenger from God. So messenger from God shows up, but first we get this really 
important piece of information that Elizabeth was six months pregnant because we've already, in this part of the scripture, we've learned about Zechariah, about Elizabeth, and that was the story that was impossible that she was pregnant because of their age. And Zechariah couldn't speak until the child was born. And we find out here that Elizabeth is Mary's cousin. And so... Elizabeth is six months along and this angel Gabriel, this messenger from God, shows up and says to Mary, Hey, rejoice, favored one. The Lord is with you. And in that moment, Mary's like, she's confused. She's confused by these words and wonder what kind of greeting this might be. Like, why are you reminding me that God is with us? Like, we know that God is with us. God is with us in our everyday walking through us. Why do I need to be reminded of that? And here's the crazy part about it. We have to be reminded about it on a daily basis, being reminded that God is with us, especially with what the messenger is about to convey to her. And to be able to say, rejoice, favored one, because what the messenger gives to her isn't necessarily something that we would get overly excited about, that we would be like, wait a minute, what in the world is going on? Because things are about to get really, really complicated for Mary. And so to realize that this rejoicing is happening even as difficult news, confusing news, I don't know what in the world's going on news is being given. And so that connection then to Silent Night comes with the fact that Joseph Muir was, he was writing during his illness. He was trying to heal from it, right? And sickness and illness in the 1800s, like those things, those things can get really, really complicated. Those things can be highly problematic, very deadly. And so to think about how Joseph Muir is writing these words, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child, holy infant so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, sleep in heavenly peace. So to begin to think about how even as Joseph is going through a really complicated time, how Joseph is really struggling as he is healing, that he is writing these first words of this carol of silent night, and he is able to say, all is calm, all is bright, round yon virgin mother and child. And just as the messenger is saying to Mary, rejoice favored one, even when things aren't exactly as we think they should be. They aren't exactly how we would plan it. They're not exactly comfortable. In fact, they're very, very difficult. Continuing on in verses 30 through 34. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen? Since I haven't had sexual relations with a man. So here, the angel gives this news. Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. And Mary's like, wait a minute. Hold up. Whoa, whoa. This is like impossible. 
And what's really kind of ironic about these words of rejoicing, of saying you are being honored, you are the favored one, is the fact that in the first century, right, having a child, just in general, having a child was far more dangerous than it would be today. A mother's life was easily on the line. It was a life and death kind of situation. And so to be so like upbeat, everything's going to be great. And to hear these words, Mary's like, wait a minute, what? What's, what's, what's about to happen? And to add on then the custom of that because she was not wed yet, she was engaged to Joseph, but she wasn't wed, that she could be stoned to death. So as we are hearing, rejoice, favored one, God is with you, God is honoring you, Mary's like, whoa, hold up a second. What in the world is going on? So that brings us back to then, how do you have joy then, right? If Mary's supposed to rejoice, if we're supposed to rejoice, if we're supposed to carry joy in the midst of chaos, in the midst of unrest, in the midst of very practical, real concerns that are coming in at us every which way, how do we begin to think of having joy, of choosing joy? How do we choose joy even in the midst of our greatest challenges? I mean, it's, it's like the mountain, that challenge that the messenger, the angel Gabriel has put in front of Mary is like the size of Mount Everest. It is deadly. It's cool. It's, it's kind of awe-inspiring, but it's like, wait a minute, I don't know if I can do that. And so here we get this sense that Mary has some trepidation, not a bad thing, but she really needs a little more. She's like trying to figure it out just as we are trying to figure it out ourselves. How do we find that joy? How do we choose joy when everything around us is going, that's going to be really hard because this isn't the way I wanted my life to go. This isn't my plan. This isn't what I had decided. And we hear it. We hear it in this second verse of Silent Night. Shepherds quake at the sight. Glorious streams from heaven afar. Heavenly hosts sing Alleluia. Christ the Savior is born. So right here, we immediately get shepherds quake at the sight. Right there is that fear. Glorious streams from heaven afar. Like even in the midst of trying to figure out how we have joy, it somehow becomes connected to understanding kind of, okay, where is God in this? How is God present, right? God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to the Son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. So to think about that, the questions that we ask in those moments of confusion, of fear, of quaking in the sight of, may help us begin to grasp where is the joy? How do I still have joy? How do I still rejoice in this circumstance I find myself in? So for today, we, we can see this. Right? We, we have the rest of the story. Like, that's not where it ends. And the angel knows. Like, the angel knows he's got to give more. 
And so in verses 35 through 39, the angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. Then the angel left her. Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. So here the messenger is like, okay, so God is going to be really with you. And God is going to be part of this. God is going to be part of this birth. God is with you through this circumstance in every which way. And then, and then the messenger says something that's really kind of vital. The messenger says, look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible with God. So in this moment, the messenger is going, hey, I know that this all sounds completely impossible of how you are going to get through this, of how you are going to go forward, of how you are going to understand what's happening. And just so you know, your cousin Elizabeth is about to have a child and everybody said impossible that there are these impossible circumstances where possibility flourishes in life. This sense of living, of thriving, of being in new ways, that there is still a way forward. And the messenger is pointing to Elizabeth of saying, hey, here's somebody else who's going through something impossible and what is possible, how is life possible after this? And so Mary, once the messenger departs, Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. Mary is going to seek out Elizabeth. And that's really important for us to realize, of thinking about that when we are faced in chaotic times, when we're like, wait a minute, where's that peace? Well, how, I'm supposed to be rejoicing right now. These are not the circumstances I wanted. That sometimes we need to seek others out. And the messenger reminds Mary that, that she is not alone. Because sometimes, right, when we get into our challenges, when things are getting complicated, we want to go into our shell. We want to withdraw from others. We want to kind of hide from it. Or maybe we feel that loneliness of, I'm the only one. Or, does anybody else struggle with this? And here the messenger reminds Mary that, yes, others, others are found in a complicated position, are found in an impossible, possible kind of thing that what is, we think is impossible of a way forward becomes possible with God. And so maybe you should think about that. And so here Mary goes, okay, I, I've got to go talk to Elizabeth. I've got to go see someone else. I've got to reach out. I've got to understand. Because if I'm supposed to be rejoicing, what does that begin to look like? If Mary's supposed to be full of joy and it's not based upon the circumstance, how then is she getting to that? How is she beginning to navigate? And the first step 
after questioning, after trying to get a little more understanding, the first step that she then takes is this, I've got to go seek out. I've got to go talk to. I've got to go understand. I've got to be with Elizabeth and learn and understand and, and maybe get a way forward just as she is trying to figure out a way forward in her own circumstances. Continuing on in verses 40 through 45. Mary entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord would fulfill the promises he made to her. Think about that for a second. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, Mary's in a predicament. She really is. She and Joseph are not married. Not yet. And so Mary's in this predicament, and as Mary is trying to figure out like a way forward, she shows up to Elizabeth's house, maybe not fully knowing what Elizabeth is going to say or do to her, right? Elizabeth, Mary are part of the, the tribe of Levi. They are part of that priestly class. They are trying to live their life right. They are trying to make sure they are doing and, and being in this world that is connected to God, allowing God to guide them. And here Mary shows up pregnant, and she may not know what's about to happen, right? She may have some of that trepidation. trepidation. Maybe, you know, she kind of knows, well, Elizabeth has always been there for me before, and if I'm supposed to be rejoicing, and if she's in an impossible situation, maybe she can help. But that still doesn't take the total edge off being nervous as she shows up because she doesn't necessarily exactly know how Elizabeth is going to respond to her. And Elizabeth responds not with, so Mary, what'd you get yourself into? Hmm, how'd this happen? Are we sure about this? What have you been doing? No, Elizabeth responds. When she heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That in that moment, when Mary shows up, Elizabeth is full of the Spirit of God, that she feels that presence of God, that as Mary comes, that there is something special about this moment, that she is focused on this connection that she has with Mary and with God, that God's presence is with both of them. And then she is able to say, because Elizabeth is full of joy, because Elizabeth is choosing to understand, to notice the presence of God, Elizabeth is able to say, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. Elizabeth is able to give something to Mary here, right? Mary's supposed to be rejoicing, but, you know, there's all this kind of fear. And here, out of Elizabeth's joy of being filled with the Spirit of God, of being filled with life, that life can thrive, that there is a way forward, of being in that moment 
of seeing Mary as a child of God who God has blessed. Elizabeth is able to say that. Elizabeth is able to remind Mary that God is with her, that they can be full of joy, and that this child is a blessing, that, you, that at the moment it may not feel like much of a blessing, but it is a blessing. And sometimes we need help in that. We need people to actually point that out. We need people to be like, hey, wait up. I think you need to notice that God is at work in this way, that God is at work in your life in this capacity, that it's this sense of really trying to get at, of trying to understand more deeply where God is showing up, that sometimes we are so in the moment of our situation that we can't see where God is at work, and Elizabeth is pointing it out. And when Elizabeth does, Elizabeth is able to share joy. Elizabeth is able to share her joy with Mary. Elizabeth is able to bless Mary and lift her from this survival, I don't know what to do, into a moment of thriving. And it hits on this third verse of Silent Night. Son of God, loves pure light, Radiant beams from thy holy face with the dawn of redeeming grace. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. Son of God loves pure light. That as Elizabeth recognizes the life that Mary is carrying, that she is able to reiterate the blessing to reiterate the blessing that is in Mary's life, to point it out. Because if Elizabeth, when Mary walks in and if Elizabeth had said, oh, this is a bad, bad situation. I don't know. It's all falling apart. There's nothing to be done. Instead, Elizabeth is like, okay, where's God in this? Let's point to where God, how God is filling our lives, where something is good and wonderful, where God is at work in our lives. And so she's able to ignite in Mary that joy, that Elizabeth helps Mary choose joy. And we see it. We see it in Mary's response, which we often refer to as the Magnificat. In verses 46 through 55, Mary said, With all my heart I glorify the Lord in the depths of who I am. I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy." just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. So because Elizabeth is able to refocus, Mary is able to say, no, wait, there is joy here. Look, look how you are blessed. Look where God is working in your life. Mary's like, wait a minute. Yes, God is merciful. Here is where God has been working, not in my life, but in everyone else's, that it begins to help Mary understand and experience the situation in a totally new way. 
And so here we get Mary living into that joy of getting that taste of joy of saying, wait a minute, I can celebrate, I can rejoice in this way because here's where I notice God is working, how God is still with me, how God is lifting me up even in these challenging times because here is how God has worked in others. Here's what God is doing in other people's lives. And so we get that refocus, that changing of perspective, that sharing of joy, so that now Elizabeth has given Mary the confidence to live into the joy. The joy that God is continuously bringing life out of all kinds of situations, out of all kinds of moments, that God is bringing us to new realizations and we hear it. We hear it in this last verse of Silent Night. Wondrous star, lend thy light with the angels. Let us sing Alleluia to our King. Christ the Savior is born. Christ the Savior is born. Joy sometimes, it is our choice. It is each of our choices. But sometimes we need to collaborate. Sometimes we need to encourage one another. We need to challenge each other in noticing where God is working so that we can cultivate that joy. And we even see it in how Silent Night was finished. Silent Night, right? Joseph writes it in 1816. But in 1818, he's finally well enough and he's become a priest just outside of Salzburg. And he realizes that this poem of his needs to be set to music, but he's in a church where the organ is really finicky. It works, it doesn't work, it, you know, it, it's an organ, an ancient organ. And so Joseph goes to a composer that he knows. He goes to this composer, Franz Guber, and Franz, he says to Franz, he's like, yeah, okay, can't do it with the organ, but I want, I want there to be song. I want to be able to sing and maybe a guitar, maybe some instrument that we know will work in the moment. And so they collaborate and they come up with this amazing carol, this tune that works so perfectly that they sing on Christmas Eve in 1818. That gets taken up by others. They say, wait a minute, what, what was that? Their collaboration brings joy, not just to the congregation of 1818, but it, it lives on. It lives beyond. That joy lives into the future that they began to, to cultivate through their collaboration, through helping one another, through reminding each other of what this life is all about in connection to God. And to think for ourselves, right? We sing Silent Night or through the pandemic, we listen to Silent Night every Christmas Eve. And if we took away Silent Night, if we didn't hear Silent Night, it would diminish the situation, right? We would be like, wait a minute, what, that wasn't, was that really Christmas? Because it has become such a part of cultivating that joy of pointing to the child. Pointing to the child 
who ask us to be part of the story, who ask us to have that hope, that peace, and to let that joy burst forth. Silent Night is a reminder of the joy that we can help others cultivate and that it can last far beyond our lives. And so how will we today begin to live into that confidence of joy that is connected to the Christ child that was being seen even before the child was born in that situation with Mary between Elizabeth and Mary? How will we understand how our lives get intertwined with God so that we might know that joy, that joy that God is always present, that God doesn't leave us, that God continuously says, I choose you. I will bring life from the things that you do, from the words that you say, that we can choose to do that, that we can choose to understand those blessings, that we can choose to focus upon that. Even when the world is chaotic, when situations seem insurmountable, when the grief of the season seems all-encompassing, how might we encourage and challenge one another in living confidently in joy? Amen. 